Hello, everyone, and welcome to Headwise, the weekly video and audio podcast of the National Headache Foundation. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weitzel. I'm the founder of Migraine Nation, and I have a history of chronic and daily migraine beginning at the age of four. Please remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. I am excited to hear be here today with Dr. Frederick Godley. Hello, Dr. Godley. How are you? Hello, Lindsay. So Dr. Godley is an otolaryngologist and the president of the Association of Migraine Disorders. He's also just one of the kindest people I know. He's super fun to talk to, and I think you're going to love him as a guest. He is here today because our topic is something called sinus migraine. Dr. Godley has been publishing on this recently, and I'm fascinated by this topic. Uh, The reason it caught my attention is my father and I both developed chronic migraine when we were in preschool. But we were both told that we had sinus headaches. I wasn't diagnosed with migraine until I was 17 and someone gave me an Imitrex injection and said, oh, this might be migraine. But to be honest, my father still has all these very interesting sinus-like symptoms that come along with his migraine. And so when Dr. Godley started talking about and writing about this, I was listening very closely and found this very interesting, this interconnection between these two topics. Dr. Godley has published a hypothesis that a migraine variant may cause sinus headache symptoms. This has been termed sinus migraine. I can't wait to hear what he has to tell us, and I think everyone's going to find it very interesting. So, Dr. Godley, uh, just before we get started, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and why you work so hard in this field? First of all, Lindsay, thank you very much for even uh, broaching this subject because it's a murky area. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not well-defined yet. Right. Um, But... Uh, as a general otolaryngologist, uh, I was treating uh, a number of uh, patients who had uh, sinus disease uh, mm-hmm. or symptoms and thought they had sinusitis, as did the clinicians treating them. But when they came to me, I had the ability to uh, get a CT scan uh, of their sinuses, and often uh, CT scans were normal. Mm-hmm. So there needed to be some kind of an explanation for why they were having the, the symptoms they were having. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, subsequently, I have had to learn a lot about migraine disease. And along the way, uh, this um, concept that migraine, which is a hypersensitivity disorder of the sensory system, is... Uh, could well be uh, creating uh, a lot of these uh, symptoms. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I've just been motivated to uh, share that uh, experience with people and advocate around this topic. Um, And I will tell you uh, later in the discussion uh, some of the ripple effect uh, that this is now having. Okay. Um, So... Let's go ahead and talk about what this is. Now, I think since you brought it up, I'll go ahead and ask this question first so everyone is clear. Is sinus migraine currently an official headache diagnosis? Uh, No, it it really, I think most headache specialists would just consider it a a variant of a headache. Mm -hmm. Um, The the issue for me is that um, that may 
work for a headache specialist, but uh, most of these patients uh, are in fact seeing primary care physicians or otolaryngologists uh, who are less well-versed with uh, the more, uh, let's say, relaxed uh, definition of a headache. Mm -hmm. And so when these uh, patients present, they don't have traditional headache symptoms and therefore uh, get misdiagnosed. And the consequences of that are great. Um, okay. All right. So I think many people in our audience who experience migraine are probably familiar with the fact that a severe cold, especially one that leads to a sinus infection, et cetera, can trigger migraine and leave us pretty miserable. Um, but that's not exactly, that's not what we're talking about here. We're sort of talking about the opposite. We're talking about a migraine variant that could work in the other direction. The thought is that perhaps there could be a type of migraine that causes us to have sinus symptoms. Um, so can you, uh, we will get to the pathophysiology behind it, the reason behind it. Um, but first, can you explain with a, what a patient with what is termed sinus migraine might actually experience? I will. Uh, let me just also mention that uh, the kind of scenario you mentioned at first where a patient has a cold and, and subsequently a bacterial or even a viral infection, mm -hmm. uh, triggering a headache is a known phenomenon. And there mm -hmm. are actually, there are uh, international classification of headache disorder, uh, the third version of it does have a classification system for that type of headache with criteria. Uh, the issue is that uh, that makes up uh, only a very small portion of the patients who present. So mm -hmm. usually uh, patients say, you know, um, Dr. Godley, I've had this recurring sinus infection and uh, my medications just don't seem to have lasting effect. Uh, can you help me? Mm -hmm. And um, so I have usually uh, uh, begin with a suspicion that I want to make sure that this is uh, not a um, neurologically uh, generated uh, symptom rather than uh, a bacterial or viral uh, infection. Mm -hmm. So the problem is that patients uh, come and they'll uh, complain that they have facial pain or pressure uh, and uh, it's across their sinuses. So uh, we did a survey uh, of uh, uh, 1,630 patients or uh, participants mm -hmm. uh, over a four-month period. And these were patients who uh, came from the migraine community mm -hmm. and uh, asked them a series of questions about their sinus symptoms. Okay. And what, um, what they revealed was that uh, over 90% of them uh, complain of pain and pressure across their forehead and behind their eyes. So it's mm -hmm. usually the upper half of the face. Mm -hmm. The number of people who complain of dental pain or cheek pain um, is closer to 60%. Okay. And interestingly enough, they also complain uh, equally of ear pressure at the same oh, time. Wow. Okay. The other factor is that they, uh, the uh, specific, of whether it's pain or pressure 
is almost equal. Um, most people uh, will have both sensations with only a small portion, about 10%, will have either just pain or just pressure. So it's usually a mixture of those two symptoms. Okay. Um, they, uh, the other factor is that they, uh, it is usually bilateral. The majority of them, it's both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is uh, roughly 60 or 65% of them will be bilateral. Okay. Um, they, and that means two sides of the face as opposed to, you know, often when we talk about migraine, just so everyone is aware, we are often talking about just one side of the face or head. So, so yeah, go ahead. Yes, and I mention this because uh, migraine headaches uh, are often characterized as unilateral, right. but this tends to be uh, really across the face uh, mm-hmm. in various locations. And in fact, the uh, the number of people who have both a headache and these pressure lockstep together is very small. Only about a quarter of uh, the respondents have both a headache and facial pain and pressure at the same time. Now, sometimes they'll have a headache, uh, but more often uh, in asking patients about this, they have a distant history of more uh, migraine headaches than they do now. And now the symptoms are more uh, heavily on uh, facial pain and pressure. So there seems to be an evolution uh, of this. Uh, An interesting factor in this is that uh, the recipients here uh, of the questionnaire were um, almost all women. It was about 87% of women. And uh, Mm -hmm. so just as migraine disease is in general, uh, uh, very gender specific, uh, so are these symptoms. Okay. So you spoke of, um, now this is something that I am just curious about because you, you spoke of, uh, pressure and pain like symptoms. Um, a lot of us are aware that, that we can get with migraine autonomic symptoms where our nose might run or, um, our eye might get watery, things like that. Do these people get, um, runny nose symptoms, congestion or nasal drip or anything like that with these, these things that are, that we were, would probably feel like we're sinus symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what makes it, you know, even more devilishly uh, difficult to distinguish between a, an infection or not is that about 60% of, of uh, these patients were also getting uh, nasal congestion and okay. runny nose. And then when we ask specifically what, what's the secretions like, uh, as one might expect, it's, uh, uh, most of them uh, have a clear, uh, uh, runny, uh, thin kind of secretions versus a really thick and discolored. Um, and uh, the reasons uh, for this are that uh, the, uh, the autonomic system also is generated from nucleus. Well, I, I uh, maybe uh, this going into pathophysiology, but the mm-hmm. uh, there is uh, nucleuses in the brainstem which are controlling the autonomic or the part of your nervous system you're not thinking about, like right. digesting, uh, and they're controlling uh, by through nerves 
the size of blood vessels. And inside your nose, you have things called turbinates. And those mm-hmm. turbinates are what gets stuffy when you get a cold. Uh, and that stuffiness comes from the uh, those small blood vessels swelling and filling up and um, and that makes the nose feel stuffy. Uh, and that's cause it can be controlled by the autonomic system, okay. which can be part of a migraine condition. In the same wow. way, that okay. the secretory cells, uh, just like you think about we sweat and we don't think about sweating, it just happens. That's because it's also controlled by our autonomic system. And inside the nose, we are, uh, you have two types of secretory cells. One are serous or thin secretions, and the other is mucoid and thicker. Mm-hmm. So when you have a dysautonomia or malfunctioning of the autonomic system, you can have either uh, really thin, watery secretions or thick, uh, but they're usually clear, might be a little cloudy, but uh, but. Uh, you can reproduce a lot of the symptoms that you would normally use to uh, diagnose uh, a rhinosinusitis. Okay. That was actually a very interesting explanation of what's going on in the turbinates and everything. I, I've never heard anyone explain it that way. So I found that very interesting. Um, so um, let's see. So we've talked a little bit about the pathophysiology. Um, so do, would you like to continue more on the pathophysiology or should we talk sure. about some of the signs? Let's go ahead and finish up the pathophysiology of the sinus migraine. I think that everyone might find that very interesting. So um, it the pathophysiology is still not clear. So mm-hmm. we really can just look at what other types of migraine are like this. Mm -hmm. And uh, one can look at ocular migraines. Mm -hmm. So your eye is, you know, functioning perfectly normally. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly you start to get either sparks of light or distortions of vision, or even parts of the vision that that stop working temporarily. So that's a form really of a uh, one could think of as a hallucination, just in mm-hmm. the same way as you can, as migraine people complain, sometimes they can smell very rotten smells that nobody else does. Mm-hmm. And that is that uh, somehow uh, from activities, probably in the brainstem, uh, there are these spontaneous firings of these special sensory organs and creating illusions. Mm-hmm. And, um If one understands uh, that this could happen to other parts of the nervous system, then uh, it gets easier to explain what's happening, for instance, in vestibular migraine, where you have a set of nerves that are controlling your sense of balance. And Mm -hmm. if they start malfunctioning, you get these very odd forms of dizziness, Mm -hmm. which is vestibular migraine. Um, And... uh, Patients can have this happen also with parts of the trigeminal system, I would argue. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the difference uh, between this and a headache uh, are uh, twofold. Uh, One is that 
the sensors in the sinus mucosa are probably mm-hmm. different than the ones in, let's say, uh, the uh, meninges or, or where we think that a lot of the pain signals are, are uh, generated for a mm-hmm. traditional headache, but rather these are mechanical uh, type of receptors. So they measure pressure. Uh, and so if they fire spontaneously, it feels more like pressure either in the ear or the sinuses rather than pain sometimes. Uh, okay. So that may explain why patients and clinicians get confused by this. Wow. Okay. Um, all right. So this, and I'm, I'm trying to make sure, like, I'm, I'm trying to think like if I'm someone listening to this for the first time, how does that lead to I think that's a hard jump for someone's brain to make. How does sure. that lead to a runny nose? Okay, so let's let's go back and uh, or talk a little talk a little bit more about you know where is this coming from? This hallucinations and all. Well, right. Um, again, the pathophysiology that we know of uh, is based on sort of two concepts. One is that you have cortical spreading depressions. Mm-hmm. which are attacks that are generated from the central nervous system right. that uh, activate uh, our pain uh, sensing systems and give us headaches uh, for reasons that are, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, unknown. I mean, mm-hmm. there can be triggers, but but you can still get a headache without a necessarily a trigger. And that whole, mm-hmm. even the trigger concept, is sort of being re-examined now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but those cortical spreading depressions usually uh, are marked by uh, an event that passes within three days. It goes mm-hmm. through different phases, but it's generally contained in a relatively short period of time. Then there's this concept that over time, through processes which are still being debated, mm-hmm. you can develop a chronic form of migraine or right. attacks, but also uh, things like allodynia, where you just your uh, sensory system to your skin uh, becomes hyperactivated. And now just brushing your hair, wearing jewelry, right. collars on your on your shirt are irritating because mm-hmm. they're hypersensitized. Mm-hmm. And so from that is this concept of central sensitization, which just would suggest that there's a neuroplastic change uh, to the nerves that make them maybe change their threshold uh, of activity, but they're right. firing more spontaneously or something to that order. We don't really know completely, but, um, but, Basically, something that shouldn't hurt starts to hurt. Right. But uh, Mm -hmm. the other way to think of it is that our nervous system is just not functioning the way that it should be. And so it's active when it shouldn't be. Uh, Right. uh, One way that most people could relate to this is uh, tinnitus or tinnitus. Mm-hmm. And many, many people experience this. Well, mm-hmm. that's basically uh, in your auditory system, you have a part of that system which is now malfunctioning uh, and it's not dangerous, mm-hmm. but it's very annoying because right. it's producing a sound all the time, uh, right. which without you know being triggered or anything. So right. we know that actually migraine can cause tinnitus. So. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, again, sort of 
what you have to hold on to as a potentially an explanation for why you can have the feeling that you have sinusitis when in fact you don't have an infection. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, I would just uh, segue into that and saying, why is this so important? Well, the fact of the matter is that rhinosinusitis is uh, one of the most common um, medical conditions uh, that uh, we see in offices across the country. Mm -hmm. It affects 15% of the population every year. So it is comparable to migraine headaches, which affect uh, some number of the population similar to that. Uh, It also, rhinosinusitis, it has its own disability. It's been estimated at 73 million uh, days of productivity and activities are lost every year to Mm -hmm. rhinosinusitis. There's a cost to our medical system of $2.4 billion of direct costs every year to treating rhinosinusitis. Um, And it is one of the most common um, uses of prescription antibiotics. Right. So over 80% of people who, uh, who have uh, 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 complaints of rhinosinusitis receive antibiotics. So why is this? Uh, the, uh, the American Academy of Otolingology, which is my uh, academy, Mm-hmm. Uh, has uh, developed clinical guidelines. Mm-hmm. And those guidelines uh, instruct not only otolaryngologists, but primary care physicians in what should you do when these patients come to you. Mm-hmm. And the criteria is that if a patient has facial pain or pressure mm-hmm. combined with nasal congestion mm-hmm. and a nasal discharge, and by that they mean really a purulent discharge. Mm-hmm. So that but, means pus, that means uh, pus, yes. correct? Thank okay. you. Uh, yeah. Sort of the okay. white and discolored and yucky <laughs> right. tasting stuff. Right. Which would come from, actually the white blood cells, but it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. but it comes from an infection. Right. It could be viral or it can mm-hmm. be bacterial, but those are the criteria. And actually, you know, we suggest that people hold off for a week uh, to see if it'll resolve spontaneously because mm-hmm. many times this is viral and it will go away. And then it suggests that you use oral antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Wait a week. If the symptoms are still there, you should prescribe a second course of oral antibiotics. Mm-hmm. If after uh, you know two to three weeks of this, uh, a patient still is complaining of sinus symptoms, then it recommends that you get, you do endoscopy or CT scan and consider other etiologies for those infections. So other causes, oh. other things that could be wrong. So all well and good, but now you have uh, patients who might have what I'll term sinus migraine, uh, let's say a migraine variant in which has symptoms of facial pain and pressure, mm-hmm. uh, nasal congestion and rhinorrhea, which rhinorrhea is a word that means just that you're producing excessive secretions. Mm-hmm. And 
most clinicians and patients aren't really differentiating between uh, pussy discharge and just a natural increase in uh, the discharge because of dysautonomia. Mm -hmm. You see that you've basically mimicked the uh, presentation of a bacterial infection. The consequence of this is that, as I said before, 82% of these people have been estimated are getting uh, antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And we have a problem with uh, a stewardship or um, controlling the misuse of uh, antibiotics because it's leading to higher resistance and more uh, ineffective uh, use of the uh, efficacy of the antibiotics is lessened, not to mention that there are some serious consequences from using antibiotics, such as changes in the microbiome, mm -hmm. uh, the worst of which is getting a C. difficile, which mm -hmm. actually can kill people because mm -hmm. uh, through uh, excessive uh, loss of diarrhea. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is, has uh, a Effects uh, just uh, uh, going to this in great length because the point is that there's a lot of people who are being misdiagnosed and mistreated uh, uh, because we haven't differentiated the, uh, let's say, infectious form of uh, sinus symptomatology from neurogenic or, okay. or, or nerves are, are uh, creating this illusion. Okay. So I was a lot more quiet than I usually am because I didn't want to interrupt the, uh, that is a, it is an interesting clinical story to tell. It's a very, the pathophysiology is very interesting. And I think many of our patients are sophisticated enough because we talk about migraine so much to understand that. Um, I hope I interjected enough and um, tried to define some of the, some of the more clinical words, but um what I want to say now is, so let's say that we have someone listening that says, wow, I am one of these people who uh, it seems like I've had a sinus infection forever. Um, it does um, have these features that Dr. Godley is speaking of. What are some of the tests or signs that perhaps it's more migraine-like than sinus-like? Are there going to be some signs that, 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 that this person might notice? So for my... Uh personal experience, what I uh, often will do is uh, to get a CT scan of these patients. Okay. Uh, and usually I'm, I'm really interested in getting that CT scan when they're symptomatic. Uh, okay. So um, the, uh, and uh, over 50% of uh, people who uh, have a CT scan when they think they're having a sinus infection, uh, will have normal, clear, healthy sinuses. That's okay. been documented in a couple of different studies. Uh, that certainly was the findings we had also uh, with our survey. Um, but uh, the other aspect of it, the other 40 5% of, of people will have some findings in the uh, on their CT scan, but 
those often don't correlate well at all with the symptoms. So they may find a polyp or they may see a retention cyst or they see a little pocket of where there's inflammation uh, in uh, some of the sinuses. Um, But there've been studies to show that those usually correlate very poorly with the symptoms of what what the patient's complaining of for for, um, pain and where the pain and pressure is. Um, And so... Uh, the CT scan will help me occasionally identify somebody who really has an infection. But Mm -hmm. uh, in many cases, it's a teaching tool for me to help uh, my patients understand when I go over the films with them, I can point out that they really don't have any thing that's happening out of their view because they can't see their sinuses. Mm -hmm. So I'm allowing them to look in their sinuses and and see that they really are healthy and that there's something else going on. Um, Because, um, you know, as a patient, you need to um, uh, some convincing that this is not a crazy idea. Um, Mm -hmm. With that being said, uh, when I'm uh, trying to identify these patients, I'm often uh, get early hints because there's a constellation of other symptoms. If you think about the the way we diagnose migraine headaches, mm-hmm. is that we're looking for a headache combined with light or noise sensitivity mm-hmm. or GI symptoms. And if you think about that, that means that other parts of your nervous system are involved with right, whatever right. this is. It's not just from muscles uh, of, let's say, a tension headache. It's actually generated more from your nervous system. In mm-hmm. the same way, the uh, when I'm interviewing patients about sinusitis, I'm asking questions about uh, light and noise sensitivity um, and ear symptoms. Uh, a lot of patients, if you ask them about it, have these odd pressure feelings, popping and crackling, uh, hypersensitivity to touch around their ears, uh, sensation that they have water in their ears. Uh, So there are other parts of the sensory system that are also misbehaving that give you an idea that this is affecting also their sinuses. Uh, And our survey, again, uh, underscored that this is uh, real because about 87% of patients complain of light uh, or noise sensitivity without having a headache. So, okay. so headache is uh, is not a, a, uh, as important a criteria in making this diagnosis because of uh, the headaches actually are often receding at this point in their life. So mm-hmm. instead, I am usually asking about a distant history of headaches. And okay. most of these patients have had some kind of a history of uh, migraine headaches in the past. Okay, so a lot of people, and and again, this is not a diagnosis that we can really find in the books right now, but this is something that Dr. Godley has published on, but a lot of people who present that seem to fall into this this category uh, had a history of migraine, and and now they have a sort something that seems to feel like and present like more of a sinus infection or sinus headache. Um, but they may still have some of these features that we look for in migraine, like the photophobia, uh, light hurts their eyes or, and they don't like loud sounds, et cetera. Correct. Yes. And I, I think the other thing is that, um, 
Just like with traditional migraine disease, uh, there are a lot of comorbid diseases. So because this is a chronic form of migraine, chronic Mm -hmm. forms of migraine have a very high uh, rate of other chronic diseases that are probably maybe genetically linked. Mm -hmm. And the the big four uh, would be uh, fibromyalgia, uh, sleep disorders, of which insomnia is usually the leading one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're going to have um, uh, gastrointestinal uh, symptoms. Okay. Uh, and uh, let's see, what would be the fourth one would be uh, uh, dizziness. Right. So when we did our survey, 96% of these uh, patients who had rhinosinusitis symptoms that were likely migraine related also had some form of dizziness. Okay. So then let's say um, you do determine that you feel there are there may be a neurological component when you are talking to a patient who has some of these sinus type symptoms when they present it do you, what do you do to treat them when it looks like it could be sinus migraine so the the beauty of this is that because it is uh, a, a chronic form of migraine in most cases and again mm-hmm. I just would emphasize that when we asked how long do the symptoms last mm-hmm. uh, only a small minority of people uh, had symptoms that were less than four hours. Uh, okay. And the vast majority of them were five uh, five days to a month in length. Mm-hmm. And some people, uh, about more than uh, 5% of patients had six months of continuous symptoms. So again, mm-hmm. reinforcing these are chronic. Therefore, uh, they... Uh, potentially would respond to preventive medications. And Mm -hmm. indeed, uh, in the years that I've been treating this, they do, in fact, respond quite well to the same preventive medications one would use for chronic headaches. Okay. Um, Again, uh, we don't have any specific diagnostic criteria, nor do we have any way to personalize the medicine. So the choice of those preventive medicines is much the same as, as the choices you, you would make for treating you know, a traditional migraine headache. Okay. Now, out of curiosity, how common do you think this problem is? There's so many people um, that are diagnosed with rhinosinusitis, et cetera. So how common do you think the actual problem of sinus migraine could be? Um, that is to be determined, but there are some signs from previous studies, uh, small clinical studies that have been done to suggest that about 60 to 80 percent of patients who look like they might have uh, a neurologically based form of rhinosinusitis will respond to various forms of migraine medication. So let me just say that again. You're talking about not just a small portion of this large number of people presenting with rhinosinusitis, but it might be 75, three out of four that are actually uh, sinus migraine, not bacterial infections. So this really uh, is a need to be evaluated better and codified better um, to uh, 
change the clinical guidelines that we currently have. Um, okay. So if someone after listening to this um, feels they could be experiencing sinus migraine, what should they do? Well, um, at the moment, it's a little hit or miss because this is still uh, a condition that is without a name. Uh, mm-hmm. It is without specific criteria. Uh, it is not mainstream medicine right now. Mm-hmm. So um, one probably is best off finding either a headache specialist who can understand that this is a possibility. And I mm-hmm. think headache specialists do. Mm-hmm. I don't think that most uh, neurologists would probably uh, be savvy about this being a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking for otolaryngologists, uh, there, um, there are a number of other people like myself who have come to the same conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, I don't I no longer have to feel like I'm a complete <laughs> renegade here. And I'll tell you that we have been, uh, we have a group that has been meeting in our uh, academy for the past three years and are very concerned about this and are trying to forge uh, a, um, uh, a broader understanding. And so we've, in fact, just formed something called the Migraine in Otolaryngology Society. And oh, wow. Okay. And I'm going to this because um, we are just about to uh, launch a website, um, which one could find through Googling that name. Uh, and in there will be a listing of its members. Okay. And of those members, there will be people, uh, clinicians who are particularly adept at vestibular migraine or the dizziness that's caused by right. uh, migraine and there'll be rhinologists, people who are more concentrated on sinuses, who will be familiar with this uh, uh, concept and treatment. Uh, and so I hope that that will soon become a resource for patients to be able to identify who these clinicians are and see if any of them are close to them so that they can get somebody who will um, you know, work through the process of feeling better. Um, okay. The encouraging uh, thing is that uh, I've done some um, uh, surveys in my office, and the, uh, for instance, uh, the monoclonal antibodies uh, which are used mm-hmm. uh, for treating uh, migraine headaches have almost equal efficacy for relieving uh, sinus pressure. Wow. Uh, so okay. Uh, um, so anyway, uh, I will circle around on that idea in a minute, because I think you have a few more questions for me. Well, I, you've answered so many of my questions. I, I've been a lot more quiet than I normally am because you were really on a, on a great role and I, I didn't want to interrupt. Um, and I was going to ask if you had any recommendations for clinicians who were listening and wanted to learn more. So can you repeat the name of the society that's going to have the website in case they didn't quite get it? Sure. So this is uh, Migraine in Otolaryngology Society. Okay. Uh, for clinicians, uh, there are, are other resources that are now existing that they might want to take advantage of. Uh, okay. There are learning opportunities through 
organizations like the National Headache Foundation mm -hmm. uh, getting the basics of, uh, of how to treat uh, migraine, which mm -hmm. will be helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, in our um, organization, we uh, are very proud of the online course that um, uh, is available at my CME. Uh, uh, I think that's dot org um, mm -hmm. or dot com. Might be mm -hmm. dot com. Uh, and in there is a free uh, uh, CME credited course that will help you learn how to treat migraine. Uh, in addition. Uh, we uh, support a website that helps clinicians stay up to speed on uh, research items, and that's the Migraine Science Collaborative. So those are resources more for clinicians uh, okay. more than patients. Okay. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add about this fascinating topic of sinus migraine and this this idea, this theory that um, is being put forth uh, before we go today? Yes, there was one other aspect of this, and this mm -hmm. is where do we go from here? Okay, right. so we're very engaged in trying to do the research mm -hmm. that would uh, help validate this theory. And so there's a number of ways we're approaching it. One is that uh, we're uh, trying to uh, learn more about the natural history of this symptom or these symptoms relative to headache. And so we are about to launch a patient registry, uh -huh. which will actually follow people through their experience and, and over time of the comings and goings of these symptoms, but also response to medications and things like that. Um, and you can learn more about that through uh, the Association of Migraine Disorders, which is our nonprofit organization. Okay. Uh, we'd love to have people who are fascinated by this disease and want to participate in understanding it more join that. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, though, we are uh, been working with a group at Duke to develop a screening tool so that just like you would have the migraine ID, this mm -hmm. would be a series of very short uh, series of questions that would help, we hope, identify for clinicians uh, those people who have uh, this sinus uh, uh, form of migraine. Okay. Um, and we're working also to understand the, uh, the pathophysiology of this disease better through other mm -hmm. studies. And, uh, and then uh, finally, we're trying to track treatments so that we can help sort out what are the best treatment plans. So um, we are doing a number, we're active in a, a number of ways uh, in uh, trying to advance the science uh, forward. Uh, wow, okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Godley. This was a super, Super interesting episode. Um, I bet so many people were um, sitting there, either they know someone who they think that that fits the um, description or they think they fit the description themselves. So I think it's interesting. Uh, we do want to remind people that it is not an official diagnosis at this time, but it is definitely uh, so thought provoking. And I really wanted to bring Dr. Godley on to discuss it. So thank you, Dr. Godley, for being here. Uh, and thank you everyone else for joining us on this week's episode. Please join us again next week for the 
weekly webcast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation.